0: And welcome back to Take One, the podcast that brings you just one positive page of Talmud every day. And in today's page, both 62, the rabbis seem to tell us to always look on the bright side of life. Have a listen to this incredible exchange. Apropos a dispute between Rav and Rabbi Yochanan with regard to the construction of the temple, the Gemara cites another dispute between them. Rav said, Groaning breaks half of a person's body, as it is stated. Groan, therefore, you son of man, with the breaking of your loins, groan so bitterly, Ezekiel 21.11, which indicates that groaning breaks half of one's body down to his loins. And Rabbi Yochanan said that groaning breaks even a person's entire body. As it is stated, and it shall be when they say to you, why are you groaning, that you shall say, due to the tiding, for it comes, and every heart shall melt, and all hands shall be slack, and every spirit shall be faint, and all knees shall drip with water. Ezekiel twenty-one twelve. The rabbis seem to disagree only on just how bad it is to moan and groan. Now listen, I am going to be very honest. I love groaning. I love moaning. I love complaining. I see it as part of my birthright as a Jew, but I know I have to do better. So today I'm calling in the big guns. It is my pleasure to welcome back to the show one of my absolute favorite teachers, rabbis, scholars, podcasters. Check out his amazing show, Good Faith Effort. The one and only Rabbi Ari Lam. Welcome back to the show.
1: I am so excited to be here.
0: Now tell us, we read today's discussion between Rav and Rabbi Yochanan, and they seem to tell us that we should really kind of put on a happy face and smile and not groan, because groaning could literally break our bodies. What's going on here? Does Judaism really have a positive thinking bend? Well, this is really the age-old question of the dispute
1: between the dark side and the light. The best way to think about it is there's, you know, a, a strongly established custom that after one has finished watching The Office, one immediately has to f- watch Parks and Recreation. Uh, <laughs> and when one has finished watching 30 Rock, one immediately has to go through Kimmy Schmidt, the long-established custom and, and honored and revered customs of our forefathers. Those are really the two sides here, meaning you have, like, the melancholy of The Office versus the can-do-itiveness of the Parks and Rec. You have the you know, Debbie Downer of, of Liz Lemon and 30 Rock with the just relentless optimism of Kimmy Schmidt. And there really is, I think, a civilizational issue here, which is, and the way I like to think about this is by using a conceptual distinction that one of my favorite intellectual historians uh, uses, a guy by the name of Charles Mann. He wrote a wonderful book back in 2018 called The Wizard and the Prophet. And without going into all the details, he basically sets up two different archetypes for how people respond to societal, cultural, economic, political problems. There are prophets and there are wizards. Prophets are people who look at the world as finite and they see people as ultimately deeply constrained by the world around us and by their environment. So the way you respond to problems is by cutting back and receding and crouching. Wizards... Acknowledge all the same problems, but they see the canvas upon which humans paint as one of incredible potential. They see growth and development as the blessing of our species and something that we're extraordinarily privileged to be able to do. So, for example, man applies this to climate change. Right? Should climate change impel us to reduce our our footprint and cut back on our lifestyles and, and crouch and hide, or it should? Or should it, on the other hand, encourage us? to innovate, to create something from nothing, to go full speed ahead in the Green Revolution, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You can trace this kind of intellectual debate back through John Adams versus Jefferson or Hamilton versus Jefferson. It can be Da Vinci versus Donatello. You can trace this all the way back through history, but actually it really originates with Chazal, with rabbinic literature. And you can can see one side of it here in this Talmudic source, Uh, But it even goes back further than the Talmud. It goes back all the way to the Mishnah uh, around which the Talmud is structured. On the one hand, in response to the crisis, the absolute calamity of the loss of the temple, which, you know, now we kind of take for granted that Judaism can exist without a temple. But once upon a time, that would have been unthinkable. You have Rabbi Tarfon in the Mishnah in in Tractate Pesachim, which we've already experienced and and, and finished up hopefully, arguing that normally when the temple was around, we would make blessings on Passover, praying for the coming redemption and all the things that we'll do next year in the temple, just like we did this year. Once the temple was destroyed, we should reduce the redemptive footprint. We shouldn't talk about Geula, about redemption as much anymore. And in fact, there are certain blessings that need to be changed because of that. That's sort of the prophet's way. On the other hand, you have in the in the Mishnah and Rosh Hashanah, which is the another tractate that we've done back when we were talking about holidays, you have Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai responding to the same catastrophe, the destruction of the temple, and uh, in this case talking about the holiday of Sukkot, saying that well, what's the way that we react to the destruction of the temple? Well, whereas during the days of the temple, we would take the lulav, you know, we would we would hold all of the four species and shake them for seven days in the temple, but everywhere else we would only do it for one day. Now that the temple is destroyed, Instead of reducing our four species footprint, instead, we're actually going to increase our footprint. We're going to innovate. We're going to take the four species all seven days of the holiday and wave them around everywhere, not just in the temple, not just in Jerusalem, but in Houston, in London, in Zimbabwe, in Teaneck, New Jersey. We are going to bring light and redemption to the entire world in ways that weren't even possible in the days of the temple. That's the wizard's way. And Judaism has always had, as as has the West in general and as has humanity, has always had this push and pull between are there times when it's appropriate to pull back, to scale down our ambitions? And there are other times where it is appropriate, in fact, right, to scale up our aspirations. And you could see the Crusades, for example, or some of the massacres in the Islamic world during the Almohad period. You can see some of the the very difficult times in Jewish history, certainly the Holocaust, as a time of pulling back. But there are other times in Jewish history that demand the kind of aspiration, the fist pumping, if you will, the smile, the Kimi Schmidt, the Leslie Nope, that demand that can do. That Judaism is capable of in its best moments. And I think now is one of those times we're living, you know, certainly you could look at the time we're in now and say, oh, it's it's so terrible, anti-Semitism is on the rise, and and Israel is constantly in the news in ways we would prefer it not to be, and that and, and people treat us so unfairly and they misrepresent us. There's assimilation, all of those things, there's intermarriage, all of those things are true. But at the same time, this is by far the best time in history to be a Jew and not just to exist as a Jew. But to be a Jew in the world, to teach our values, to bring our wisdom out to the rest of society, there are more Jewish people learning Torah in a serious way than at any time in all of Jewish history since Sinai. This podcast is testament to that. There's more available in translation. There are more people excited about it. New cultural forms are appearing because of Jewish reinvestment in our tradition and in our wisdom, whether that's major artists in Israel essentially reinventing liturgical poetry for a new generation, or whether that's people creating the secular Beit Midrash out on the West Coast, right? There's so much that is amazing that's happening in Jewish society, culture, and history today, which has implications not just for us, but for the wider world. And so if there were a time for us to be wizards. If there were a time to see growth and development as the blessing of our people and our species, if there were a time for us to adopt the anti-groaning perspective of
0: today's Daf, it's this time. Ari Lam, to your titles, rabbi and doctor, I am now adding wizard. Thank you so much <laughs> for being our guest. Thanks for having me. This has been Take One. If you enjoy the show, and I hope you do, please go and rate and review us on iTunes or whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts. Each week, we will be releasing new episodes Monday through Friday, covering the entire weekly portion of Dafyomi. Take One is a Tablet Studios production. The show is hosted by me, Leah Libowitz, and is produced and edited by Daron Ruskay and Quinn Waller. Our team also includes Stephanie Butnick, Josh Cross, Mark Oppenheimer, Sarah Fredman-Ader, Robert Skarmuchia, and Tanya Singer. For more information, go to tabletmag.com slash One, or email us at takeone at tabletmag.com. You can find us on Twitter at takeone.fiomi or join our Facebook group by searching for Take One Podcast. I hope we have made your day a little more Talmudic, and we will see you again soon.